Number one, number one. Yes, the Rangers won the lottery. While the Rangers season ended abruptly in the Toronto bubble, they found a way to strike some luck, winning the number one pick in the NHL amateur draft in October. We look ahead to the Blue Shirts' expected future with Alexis Lafreniere as a post Molly Walker joins us. We also dive into the offseason ahead and how the team can get better with Rangers beat writer Larry Brooks. All that and more next on the season finale of Up in the Blue Seats from the New York Post. Ladies and gentlemen, we ask that you direct your attention to center ice for a special presentation. Welcome to Up in the Blue Seats podcast, a New York Rangers podcast with the New York Post. It is sadly the season one finale of the show, but you can catch up on all 37 episodes of the show by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, wherever you get podcasts. And if you use Apple, give us a five-star rating and write in a nice positive review while you're there. Subscribe to our baseball shows, Amazing But True, and the Yankees Pinstripe Pod. New episodes drop Monday and Thursdays. Coming up on the season one finale today and special number one draft pick edition of Up in the Blue Seats are our pals from the New York Post, Molly Walker and Larry Brooks. But now, here he is, one final time in season one, the star of the show, number 10, Ron Duguay. Welcome, Jake, and thank you for being such a great producer. It's been fun. It's been a fun ride. Uh, we've had a lot to talk about. We've had a lot of great guests. It's been fun because it's a lot of uh, a lot of these guests have been friends of mine. So I've had uh, an opportunity to kind of talk to them and ask them things that I had not talked about in the past. And being a big Ranger fan, I love talking Rangers. So uh, we'll always be a big Ranger fan. And the fact that I wore that jersey, wore number ten, played at the Garden, I really feel connected. But we're going to take some time off. We're going to take a break. We'll come back around draft time. And today, I just want to kind of end it with just no guests, just talking to Molly and talking to Larry, talking about, uh, well, recently, what just happened after the disappointment with the Rangers losing in the playoffs. But then shortly after, there's the lottery. And yes, the Rangers win number one pick overall. And so because of that, there's such an excitement right now because the Rangers are on path to uh, exceed what they had been talking about as far as, you know, they just want to get better and they want to get better as quick as they can and we saw that they ended up in the playoffs so they had this kid Lafreniere and now the process is moving forward so a lot of things to talk about today with Molly and Larry and uh, we'll get into it and then we'll end it and then we're gonna just take a break and just be fans and watch hockey but for now let's get Molly on what did you go through while you were going through this draft who were you thinking you'd want to see what team win that first pick overall when I was sitting there and it came up and I saw the little blue corner, I kind of did a double take because if you were to ask me going into that, that if the Rangers were going to win it, I would have told you you're crazy. I feel like that's just not how the Ranger luck works. <laughs> and I really just didn't see it going to them. But there it was, the little the little blue corner and, and uh, Gary Bettman confirming that it was the Rangers. So, okay. So shortly after that, I mean, I was in my living room, I was getting ready to go out the door and I couldn't leave. And, uh, and then all of a sudden I'm watching and, and yes, like you, I see the little logo. I'm very familiar <laughs> with the logo because I wear it all the time. And there it is. I'm like, Oh my God. I actually yelled and jumped in my living, no one around. I thought, yes, after the disappointment of them not being in the playoffs right now, yes, now we got something to talk about. And, but it didn't take long. Maybe an hour later, I started getting some texts and I started reading stuff on social media. It 
it's rigged. It's rigged. I'm like, what? What did I miss? So is there something I missed, Molly? Did you see something that I didn't see and other people are seeing or what they're thinking? Why did some people think it was rigged? Well, Ron, you're not alone. I read it all too. I actually found it quite humorous. Everybody was saying that the ball looked a little heavier than the rest and and then it came up just a little bit too easily. And and I, I get that why people would want to say that, you know, it's great for hockey, the number one pick going to New York, but for the rest of the league, it's 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 not that great considering how much they've already done in the rebuild and how much young talent they already have on the team. So to add an 18-year-old like Lafreniere is is just a wonderful opportunity. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it was rigged, but it's hard not to think that way when in the first lottery they pull the qualifying loser. A qualifying loser will win the number one overall pick. Uh, so it's hard not to think that, but it looked pretty pretty real and, and, and pretty raw to me. <laughs> so one of the things that Larry and I talked about, and we were both in agreement, is that, and it hasn't been because this year is so different with the draft, is that a young player is going to have an opportunity to play on a better team versus the worst team in the NHL. Does it make sense to you that a young 18-year-old who's a very good skilled player that the NHL wants to see them develop and become a star player, it's better for a younger player to be more on a, an established team where he can develop versus being on the worst team in the NHL. I definitely think it's great for the league. The way that it worked out, I think it worked in the league's favor in general. New York is just a, a huge market and a, and a great target. And this is just great for the sport in New York. But I, I will say it, it is a shame that the Detroit Red Wings didn't get anything after this season that they had. I will say that if it were up to me in, in fairness and in love, I would like to see the, the Detroit Red Wings get the number one all pick because they obviously needed it the most after this season and it was a really really tough season for them so to shake it out and them not get anything above fourth is is a, a tough pill to swallow for them I'm sure I'm sure I know you're a big fan of Lundqvist and uh, moving oh, forward <laughs> <laughs> Out of respect for Lundqvist, now that we know a little bit more about the future of the team, because there's talk that they're not going to move forward three goaltenders next year. They've said that. And it'll be two goaltenders. Do you believe that Lundqvist will be one of two goaltenders? I don't. Um, unfortunately, I, I don't think that that is in their plans. And, and I think uh, Gordon kind of alluded to that when he said that he had a very personal and serious conversation with Hank as soon as they got off um, the bus. But I, I think it all falls down to timing and also with the situation that the Rangers are under with this cap hit and the coronavirus impacted season and the financial situation that they're going to be in, they simply just can't afford to to bring Hank's very large cap hit of $8.5 million any further, unfortunately. So I, if I were to guess, I would say that he will not be part of the two goaltenders that the Rangers will have next season. Also moving into next season, what do you think the Rangers in yourself after watching how they played against Carolina... What did we learn from what we saw on the ice against Carolina with this young Ranger team? Is that they, they need more reps. You know, they need more time together. They, you know, it really did kind of all combust in the playoffs. You know, it, it, they they started to get it go, going in the regular, towards the end of the regular season. They really started to get a feel from each other. 
but ultimately it was they were outpowered and and out experienced in the playoffs and and I think it was a good learning experience because I feel like this is a team that there are so many new faces and and you know they upset a lot of people like they uh surprised a lot of people um so I I just feel like it's it was a very good experience for them all, all together and and that's just what they're going to need to bring into next season because once they're they get more reps together I feel like it's going to gel even more yeah well I'm in agreement with you I felt like because it was a young team, they probably needed another two or three games to uh, to get their footage. And uh, but the fact is, they played Carolina. I mean, this team looked really good. Sixteen of those players went deep in the playoffs last year, and they just kind of picked up from where they were last year. Right out of the gate, they're well coached. They're they're a team that really uh, cares for each other, plays for each other. So, in defense of the Rangers, I just think that they played against a team that was well equipped, well experienced, and they just took the Rangers out of their game. But for young players playing in that situation, it kind of separates, let's say, the men from the boys. Mm -hmm. And one of the players that I was focused on was Heedle. I wanted to see, although he's a very young kid, I wanted to see how he was going to perform in playoff hockey in difficult situations. And he wasn't very noticeable on the ice. What are your thoughts on Heedle on him and moving forward? I agree. I think his upward trajectory is massive. I think he has tremendous potential and he has tremendous potential to be a huge depth guy them if he could be their third line center or even a fourth line center I feel like it would just expand the lineup so much you're right he you know it was an experience thing I really do think I think it was a shell shock to go up against uh, a team like Carolina and how hard they came I don't expect I think that they came into it thinking back on the four wins that they had over Carolina during the regular season. And we're expecting to see that kind of team, but all these players have never seen the elevated intensity that comes with playoff hockey. And I think it just knocked the win right out of them and, and knocked the win right out of Heedle. And he wasn't able to really do anything. Well, with the Rangers out, I know for myself, I have a friendship with the Islander players, mm -hmm. uh, not current, but past. And so I'm going to watch the Islanders. And I know you follow the Islanders quite a bit. Can you give me kind of a breakdown, because they're playing today, breakdown of what you think and what we think we're going to see with them playing Washington? It's going to be a huge challenge for them, and it's going to be a huge test of their stability and how sturdy they are as a team and a unit and their systems and their structures, because that's really what, what got them past, past Florida. They just, they outmaneuvered them, they outplayed them, and they were just so solid on defense too. They didn't, they didn't falter at all, but they're getting a much more offensively gifted team in the in the Washington Capitals and a much more physical team as well. So I, I feel like it's it's going to be a huge test of their ability and of how far they can go in this playoffs, because if they can't take wins over players like Alex Ovechkin and the rest of that company, you know, then they're not going to go much farther in the playoffs. Molly, speaking of these playoffs, what do you think of games going into five overtimes, a hundred extra minutes? It's an absolute marathon. And now it forced a game to be postponed to 11 a.m. the next day. Don't they have to find a way to change the rules, whether it's shootout, four on four, or three on three? Because playing an extra, almost two extra games on, in one night is just too much wear and tear, guys. No, Jake, you, you've showed your opinion there. You're not a true hockey fan if you don't love five overtimes. If you are not eating up every second 
of five overtime hockeys, then you are not a true. You are not fan. awake for an extra hundred minutes. Come on, and and <laughs> nope, intermissions in between. They got to take breaks between. It's an extra two to three hours. Nope, it is a true test of ability. It is just how it goes in the NHL. That is how you win in the playoffs. You outlast your opponents. Well, um, <laughs> Molly, I'm going to challenge you on that because I agree with you. The entertainment value that you're getting out of watching five periods, loved it, right? But I'm putting myself in that position where you're in the first round. You may have to go deep in the playoffs and games like that, if you do it more than once, it really sucks the life out of you. So I think thought on that and Mil- Mike Milbury brings it up today. He thinks that it takes too much out of the players where it may affect players in the teams in the finals. The quality of hockey may not be as good. Too much wear and tear. What are your thoughts on that? I get it. I do get it. I'm not here to tell you that, you know, at the expense of the players, I want them to just keep going. But honestly, I feel like I I would, maybe I'll ask uh, some of the Islanders the next next time I get the opportunity, ask ask the players, you know, if they would rather take it to a shootout after a certain amount of time or if they would rather just keep playing it. I feel like, I don't know, as a former athlete in my very long, long days ago, I would have much rather just kept playing instead of doing some sort of, I guess some people can call in a skills competition um but the entertainment value huge you hear that ron molly pulled the former athlete card on us how (laughs) dare she how dare you yes i did yes i did molly i just want to clarify no shootout absolutely no shoot i'm talking four on four and i think four on four uh, would uh, determine a winner much quicker than five on five. Because these teams are so good now defending and the goaltending is so good that you're going to see what we saw. I'm a fan of the three on three. I like the way the three on three looks too. I think it's an awesome way to show off. Like, uh, you know, watching a player like Artemi Panarin and three on three is a, is a vision. It's honestly an experience. So I'm all for the three on three too. So I I guess maybe I'll say there should be a certain amount of overtimes five on five and then then they'll graduate to three on three if it's getting too ridiculous. How about that? I'll modify my answer. There. I think it should be four <laughs> and four for the first overtime, then three on three second. And if there's no three on three, either shootout. I don't, guess you can't do two on two or one on one. Then it becomes like street ball. And oh my you can't gosh. Do that. Two on two. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be fun to watch though, like a one on one battle. Uh, Jake, you're but... showing your hockey knowledge. <laughs> Molly, I'm going to bring it back to the Islander Washington series. Yeah. For the Islanders, any thoughts on how they think they're going to be able to continue? Tane Ovechkin, who's the skill guy. And then you got Tom Wilson, who's going to be running around playing very physical. How do they manage those two guys? I will say it in uh, post practice interviews the other day they asked there was a question about what they were going to do about the Washington power play and Alex Ovechkin in particular or not even asked about Alex the player literally said we need to contain number eight number eight is our priority on the ice during the power play he cannot have an inch and I feel like they recognize that a lot of the Semyon Varlamov played with Alex Ovechkin he knows what he's up against so I feel like they have a very clear understanding of the player that they're dealing with in Alex Ovechkin and that you know, they're not going to let anything like that slide by them. So I think they've made it a point to say that he is a key focus of theirs, which is going to be so important in advancing. 
Well, Ron, we, we definitely have to thank Molly for her terrific job coming on the show over these last you know couple months here, as well as Larry Brooks for bringing his insight. And all of our guests, a, a very good guest list, courtesy of a lot of friends and you know colleagues of Ron. And our guests we'd like to thank are Nick Fotillo, Clark Gillies, Dave Maloney, Alexi Kovalev, Mike Keenan, Butch Goring, Ken Danico, Sid Roseberg, Megan Chica, Darius Kasparitis, Jay Wells, Larry Sloman, Stan Fischler, Amanda Kessels, Pete Stemkowski, Rod Gilbert, Barry Beck, Eddie Mio, Ty Domi, Neil Smith, Brad Park, Chris Roach, Sean Avery, Donnie Murdoch, Mike Ruzioni, Chris Katsopoulos, Bernie Nichols, Mike Richter, Eddie Olchick, Tom Laylaw, Brian Trotty, Kerry Frazier, Chris Nyland, Adam Graves, Linda Cohn, Phil Esposito, and Ron Greshner along this journey. Yeah, and I if you're and when I think back of the stories, they're all good stories, they're all great guests, and I think I go back to our first show, and that was with Mike Keenan. For Mike, for the Ranger fans, he we got some insights what it was like on that last Stanley Cup run. For him being the head coach, how he put that team together, him with Neil Smith, uh, some, a lot of good insights. But everyone else, they all brought something different to the show, and I look forward to next year to maybe having some of them back and having new guests. Um, so it's been a fun ride, Jake. So till next time, Molly, Larry, uh, have a good rest of your summer, and let's go hockey. Okay, we now welcome in Rangers beat writer at the New York Post, Larry Brooks. You can follow Larry on Twitter at NYP underscore Brooksy. You can read all of his Blue Shirts coverage in the Post and at NYPost.com. Larry, I... uh... I got to tell you, uh, we haven't talked, but since the draft, because of the elimination of the Rangers, uh, if you're a big Ranger fan, you follow the Rangers, it was somewhat of a disappointment until we got to the lottery. I was not expecting what we got out of it. What was it like for you? I'm assuming you were there watching and not thinking that the Rangers are going to win. And all of a sudden, we see that Ranger logo on the ball. And I'm in my living room, and I, I swear to God, I jumped and screamed. And I'm like, yes! It was like, after the disappointment, the Rangers get first overall, which I think we all know now that wasn't, even when you look back, I think it was 1965 when they had a first round pick overall, and it really didn't mean anything then. But now for what we've been through and for where the Rangers are and moving forward, rebuilding and all that, now you add this first round overall pick. Did you have the level of excitement as I did? Well, you know, I, I, I was watching and Paul popped up and I, and I thought to myself, I think that's the Rangers, <laughs> you know? I saw this little red and it looks like the Rangers. And I sent someone a text that I that I can't uh, that I can't repeat on this uh, podcast. It was shocking. It was it was shocking. Um, I I think you probably have traded the the, the I, I I don't think you'd you'd have traded that for for defeating Carolina. But um, they get this is a marvelous opportunity. Just a marvelous opportunity. Um, you know, I, I think it's true that it accelerates the rebuild, but I don't think I don't think it changes the program to a dramatic degree. But the fact that the Rangers are going to have the opportunity to put a 19-year-old star onto their roster is, uh, I think, pretty exciting for everybody around the organization and for everybody uh, who roots for the Rangers. And this this generally doesn't happen. What's interesting to me about this is there, there's a lot of debate about whether the NHL should have done it this way. You know, should the first overall pick have been reserved for the seven teams that that didn't get an invite to the tournament? And a, and a few months ago, I wrote that I thought that was that was the fair way to go. Um, but the league decided to do it this way. And what I like about it, it's not not simply because it's the Rangers. What I like about it is that the first overall pick doesn't necessarily have.
have to go to a dysfunctional outfit. doesn't have to go to a team that finished 40 points out of the playoffs and is now attempting to create a foothold in the NHL on a bad, bad team. And I have, I have, I've argued this for years and years and years, that the draft system needs to be reworked because the NHL simply is in the business of rewarding failure when they continually give first overalls to teams that miss the playoffs year after year after year. So um, I, think it's, I, think it's, I think it's great in every aspect that the Rangers have the first uh, overall pick. Well, Larry, there's a lot of things you and I agree on, and that's one of the things that I've been thinking about and talking about. I was interviewed yesterday, and I'm, I'm like you. Why reward teams that are so bad? And when you think and look at the big picture, you have these young players now are coming in as 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds. And the last thing you want to do, and for the NHL, you want to give that player an opportunity, the best opportunity to be able to develop. And if they're on a bad team for about three or four years, what could happen to that player? He's going to have a tough time developing. So it's not in everyone's best way to be able to put these kids on a bad team. So I'm in agreement there. And the fact that he's going to the Rangers, it's ideal for this young kid when you look at the setup in New York, because he was interviewed and they asked him your thoughts on New York. And right away, he says Panarin. And he did say the excitement of going to New York. So he is saying the right things. I, uh, When you look at developing players, I think there's no better place than going under Coach Quinn and with the young players that are on this team now. So, but having said that, I know you did mention one of your articles that it's not set in stone that they're going to pick him, more than likely they are, but potentially there could be an offer out there like you threw out there. And I don't know if you really thought about it, Ottawa, right? Third overall. Because when you look at the other first round picks, they're mainly all forwards. There's one defense. They're mainly all forwards, and they're all pretty good players. So do you really believe that, or do you think that they're going to go with Lafreniere? Listen, I, I expect them to go with Lafreniere. I, I think the I think the overwhelming scenario that will play out is just keeping the first pick. And with the first pick, there's no question that they'll take Lafreniere. The gap between Lafreniere, even, even though he is a left wing and the Rangers have a couple of left wings. However, let's remember everybody can, everybody can shift to the right. Chris Kreider moved to the right a number of times this year. If they need Kreider to move to the right, Kreider will move to the right. Panarin maybe can move, but I would, I would look at it and say, but what, what I was going to say is there's so much of a gap between Lafreniere and the next player that even if the Rangers were tempted to go more for need, which is probably a center, the gap is too great between Lafreniere and and, and Quentin Byfield for them for them to make that uh, kind of a decision. So I expect them keep the pick, and I certainly expect them to take Lafreniere with it. The only uh, the only the only caveat is if someone makes an offer that is just ridiculous to Jeff Gordon, and it's impossible for him to say no. And and the scenario I threw out the other day is one that I don't expect to develop, but one that could. And that would be is if Ottawa, which has the third overall and the fifth overall, said, you know what, we'll give you Brady Kachuk and our third overall for the first overall. I think that would probably start a conversation. Um, I think the Rangers would probably ask for more. But I think I think that would start a conversation, but I think it would be totally unrealistic for Ottawa to pursue it. <laughs> so honestly unless uh unless a team makes just a you know a, a foolish offer the rangers will keep the pick all right having said that for our listeners how would you best describe him as a player and do you think that he would be capable of making the team and playing next season 
I think the expectation is that he'll be in the NHL next year and make an impact. Uh, he is a dynamic player, strong on the puck, great vision, can shoot the puck. I don't know that he has super elite speed, but he certainly skates well enough. He, um, he you know, he's not in any way a grinder but he uses his body. He's, he's a physical enough player. He gets to the net and he is a, uh, he's come up big in big spots. You know, he uh, was the MVP in the, in the world junior. So uh, he's a big time player. Well, moving on with the Rangers, I, uh, the one thing that's being talked about a lot is Lundqvist and the goaltending situation. Another week has gone by and uh, more talk. You have any sense on what you think is going to happen Lundqvist? Because it does make sense that he would want to go back to Sweden and play with his brother. And that would be, I guess, a good scenario for the Rangers. Do you agree or disagree? Oh, that would be a good scenario for the Rangers. I don't know what Henrik wants to do. You know, that, that's that's the unknown. For me, has been known for a couple of months is that he wouldn't play for the Rangers next year. I mean, that's that's the way I've been looking at it, writing it, talking about it probably since uh, March. And, and nothing has happened that, that makes me change my mind. So I think it's just a matter of how this divorce, separation, amicable divorce, amicable separation plays out. And I think there really are only two ways. He either will, he'll decide whether he wants to continue playing in the NHL. If he does, I, I think he'll, there'll be a buyout. And if he doesn't want to continue playing in the NHL, then he would retire and, and the Rangers would get the benefit of that. Because I honestly, I, I just, I, I don't see the, uh, the scenario under which he comes back as a backup goalie. I, I just uh, don't think that's a workable situation. I don't think Rangers ever envisioned that because I think if they did, he would have been the backup this year, and he wasn't. So uh, you know, after after February, you know, it was clear uh, that Georgiev had become their backup goalie. So if they had wanted a one-two next year of Shesterkin and Lundqvist, then why in the world didn't they go with Shesterkin and Lundqvist this year? You know, that that's basically the way I've I've read it since February. So that's the way I think it'll play out. With of course the unknown being what. Hank wants to do. Today will be our last show. We're going to take a break. And so you and I are not going to talk for the next couple of months. So assuming at draft time, they pick Lafreniere and they have an idea on Lundqvist. Let's say there's a decision on him. Lafreniere is part of the top six. What do you think going into next season that the Rangers would be looking to do? What kind of move would they be looking to do when you're thinking of improving this hockey team? Uh, second line center. You know, if if they can get a legit second line center on the trade market, then I think that's something they'll um, investigate. Um, because there's, I don't believe that they that they see Ryan Strom as the long term answer as their second line center. It was, I thought his his round against Carolina was was really unfortunate. He you know he had a he had a very good season, and I know I know there is a rush to discount it because he was the beneficiary of playing with um, Panarin. But I look at it the other way, too, that Panarin, in a sense, was a beneficiary of playing with a center who could adapt to him. And, I, and, I, and it's not always so easy. And, and we've talked about this uh, over the last couple of months, um, that it, it's, you know, it, it's not automatic that you're going to find someone who clicks with a superstar. Strom does. So I, I give him a great deal of credit for that. But I think the amount of money he's going to make, the Rangers probably aren't looking at that as a long-term solution. So their need is for a solid second center. If they can't get one, then the question is, do they try and uh, do they try and bring Strom back on a short on a one-year deal? Would they give Philip Heedle the shot at second line? I don't know. That's that's an issue for them, and they're going to have to out of their group of, of lefty Ds, they're going to have to be able to find someone who can play with Truba because. 
I thought one of the, and I think we mentioned this last week, although really one of the um, highlights of, of that round, if there were any, were Truba was one of them. And I think they're going to want to get Truba back to being the first pair matchup righty, but they need to have someone who can play those minutes with them. And, and right now, um, there's kind of a void there. And I think it's unrealistic to expect Keandre Miller to, to do that. I think it's probably unrealistic to expect Keandre Miller to be on the team at the start of next season, whenever that is. So that that's that's an area that they're going to have to look at. You know, maybe Libor Hayek makes, makes a big jump. Um, I don't think the Rangers are going to trade for a lefty D because they have so many young ones coming, but they're still a, a, a ways away, so they have to get from here to there. Larry, I love your insights on last night's game. It went to uh, fifth overtime, and I watched through the whole thing. I really enjoyed it. But the talk today, and it was something that's been on my mind, Mike Milbury brings it up. He's old school, so am I. And his idea is, or his thought is, that the NHL should find a way to shut it down after possibly one period of overtime, maybe two, maybe then break it into a four-on-four or three-on-three to try to uh, end the game earlier so it's not so hard on these players because what they went through last night, that sucks the life out of you. What are your thoughts on continuing to play with the five-on-five with all these overtime periods? Are you fine with all that? Actually, I, I I find myself shocked to be in agreement with Mike Milbury on on something. Um, I I, uh, uh, I agree, and um, I, I think yes. A well, here's what I think, and because I've written a few times over the last number of years that I think even that the first two rounds of the playoffs should be three out of five. And the reason I say that is because teams are the way the, the way these games are played. Teams are just battered after the second round, and then they get to the conference finals as always a war on ice it just is and you get to the finals and you generally the last years the, the hockey just isn't that high of a level it be the the compete is is off the charts you know the the willingness to work the sacrifice all of that they're off the charts in the finals but it's generally not great hockey and my perspective is that you want the best hockey to be played in your championships, in your championship round, in your conference finals. So the number of games that are played, I think, should be cut down. But what I think is, and, and this gets back to the concept of just play, you know, just keep playing five overtimes. This is unbelievable. This is what hockey is all about. This is playoff hockey. It's, it's you know, I, I think this... The hardest trophy in professional sports has become such an obsession with people. Oh, this is the hardest trophy in professional sports that it's it's actually camouflaged what the playoffs should be. Not only do I think that going to four-on-four, four, and, and I would consider going to four-on-four four in the first overtime, just going straight to four-on-four. Four. Um, but not only do I think that would have benefits as far as the uh, on the players' bodies, I think it would be a more entertaining product. I'm sorry. I was watching last night and what? There were two scoring chances, maybe an overtime period, one or two, maybe. I didn't think it was great entertainment. It was it was inspiring to see these guys, to, you know, to, to see Seth Jones play over 60 minutes. Um, you know, it was inspiring to see Ryan McDonough playing whatever he did, you know, in the 50s and Victor Hedman after injuring his ankle. But it wasn't particularly entertaining. <laughs> it just wasn't. I, at least that's my opinion. So I would certainly be I would certainly be up for the conversation about changing the form. Well, I'm in agreement with you and with Mike. I would get right 
into the four on four after the end of the game. Let's just get at it. And like you're saying, it's all, a lot of it is about entertainment value. My goodness, four on four at the end of enter, at the regular um, play. I mean, that would be awesome, right? Right, right. Yeah, I was going to say too. You know what? I, I and I and I would like to see it. So I, I let me just say this: I would like to see the ratings from last night's game to see how much of the audience, how much the audience either increased or decreased along the way. That would be very interesting to me. Well, we're going to have that discussion later on. One last question for you. And, and this, there's certain things that come to my mind because I've been in a play, I've been a player and I have an idea what playoff hockey is like. And I know what it's like to be with your family, away from your family while you're still trying to be a player. What are your thoughts on this year being so unusual? The players in the bubble, they're all together. They're away from their family. Do you think think it's it's good for the players to be more focused do you think we're going to see a better player because there are no distractions have you thought of this at all what i've actually thought not 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 to that point but what i have thought about is how much more difficult this is likely to become on on every individual who remains in this restrictive environment for another two three four five six weeks you know it's, it's one thing to be in there and just play and you go to the rink and coming back for a couple of weeks but i think the strain is going to begin to wear on certain guys um, when it gets to be four five six weeks because there are there honestly there's not a lot else to do and i think you know you can i, I think it, it i think it's going to be a real test of mental will as this goes farther i think it's going to become much harder for these players and and um i know there's at least the um possibility and i'm not sure how it would work i I am sure given what we've seen so far that the nhl and nhlpa will nail it down if, if it happens but there i know there is there have been discussions about allowing families of players to enter the bubble at some point before the conference finals when everybody goes to Edmonton, I think. So, you know, maybe that will help. But I, I think, you know, when you're when you're confined for weeks at a time, it, it becomes um, it becomes a, a greater challenge with every um, with every day and with every week. And that's one of the things I said yesterday. I mean, when you get into a contest of wills, I don't think it's wise to overlook a Lou Lamorello operation. I, I think the Islanders. The Islanders right now look pretty good to me. All right, Larry, we're going to end it there. Uh, we uh, really thank you. I, I'm thanking you for all the listeners. I, I had someone reach out to me yesterday who's a close friend. He mentioned the podcast and he said to me, you know that Larry, he really knows his stuff. And this guy's a pretty knowledgeable guy. So I thank you for your time. We'll talk probably sometime in October. Okay, so enjoy hockey and enjoy the rest of the summer. Sounds good to me. Thanks, Ronnie. Same to you. That wraps up episode 37 and season one of Up in the Blue Seats. Thanks to Jake Brown for producing the show all season. Catch up on all our past episodes by subscribing wherever you get podcasts. Please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and write a positive review. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Ron Town. Thanks for joining us for a fun season one of Up in the Blue Seats. We appreciate your continued support. We will return after the NHL Amateur Draft in October. Until then, stay safe, everyone. And of course, let's go Rangers.